0: What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, as always, Jack Vita. We're live here on Twitter and Facebook. The World Series is over. Baseball season has ended. I can finally go to sleep at regular hours. I am happy about that. We're in the thick of things for college football and the NFL, and college basketball tips off tonight. It's November 7th. 2022 this is the jack vita show we've got you covered we're going to talk about all of that if you guys enjoyed today's episode make sure you subscribe to the jack vita show on apple podcast spotify youtube follow us on social media at jack vita show for more content we're gonna have some great conversations and guests coming up uh on the program this winter as well it's hard to believe it's we're already talking about winter but uh joining me for the first time in too long is andrew stem over at the omaha world herald and as you can see, if you're watching, he's wearing a very nice Detroit Lions polo. So they're coming off a win. I, I really
1: got hope. Got to celebrate the wins when I can, man. There aren't few too few and far between. <laughs> I really hope Paul Orin is watching this today. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he has uh, some feelings on the play calling Green Bay had in the uh inside the 10-yard line yesterday. <laughs> so, uh, well, we will touch
0: on the World Series, of course. We'll get to that in a second. But since we're here, how do you feel about the
1: Lions this year, Stem? You know, um, I mean, there have been some really positive games, right? They they played well early. Uh, then they went through a little bit of a funk when they they couldn't score at all. That uh, game against the Patriots was kind of the nadir when they couldn't do much of anything. Um, you know, I, I think they're building in the right direction. It's... It is the franchise is really bad. Like you know, you see some quick rebuilds, right? In the 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 Eagles are eight and zero now, and like we're drafting in the top ten a year ago, or you know, like so it can happen. Falcons are in first place for that matter too. I mean, that says more, I think, about the quality of the NFC South (laughs) than anything. But you make a fair point. You make a fair point. Um, So. But I mean, the, the Lions as the a franchise had just bottomed out and they're building the right way. Um, you know, I know people were fired up after hard knocks and were like, oh, maybe they'll, you know, end up uh, making the playoffs or something like that, sneaking into that seven seed. That was never realistic. Um, so, you know, if they can pull out a few more wins, get four or five wins, uh, they got a couple of draft picks in the first round. They still have the Rams pick again. Um, and I love Matt Stafford, but now that he's got his title, they can keep losing. <laughs> I enjoyed Tom Brady's uh, late <laughs> game drive. You well, know, that was great five yesterday because the more the Rams lose, the better that second pick gets. So uh, <laughs> the Lions have a lot of holes they got to address, but it was good to see, you know, the, uh, the defense played well, uh, by far their best game of the year. And uh, yeah, I think they're building in the right direction and, you know, hopefully can be closer to 523 and then maybe a playoff contender in 24. So,
0: yeah, I think that's realistic. I think a lot of people, maybe they just really enjoyed hard knocks. I feel like people sort of had, kind of high expectations compared to what I would have expected from them this year coming off a year where you have a top five pick or they have the number one overall pick number two, two. Yeah. So they had the number two overall pick and they're in a full scale rebuild. Probably are going to draft a quarterback at some point. So this is kind of where I expected them to be. But like you said, Hey, you're happy about that win yesterday. You're happy to see the Rams lose the Packers Fumbling around a little bit. Bears
1: aren't that great. So who would have thought that Minnesota would be seven and one? Yeah, they're gonna clinch the division before Thanksgiving at this rate. Um also I have a hot I have a quick hot take about uh, the Lions and their their drafting. Uh I really like Drake May. Um I think North, North, North Carolina has uh potential. I am not sold on CJ Stroud. I think he's a very good college quarterback. I don't know how he would function in the NFL. I think the Lions should draft defense. Uh, it was both of their first round picks and then just go all in on Drake May in the 24 draft. But that's, that's just me.
0: It would be great if Drake May could be the best professional athlete coming out of North Carolina with the last name of May. Is it Sean May and Luke May yeah. great college players, Drake May, maybe yeah. he's yet.
1: Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know whether, you know, we'll have to see how Sam Howell turns out when uh, they eventually turn the, the keys over to him in Washington. But uh You know, I don't know if people are going to be scared away with kind of what how Mitch Trubisky has fared thus far and whether that uh, leaves gives people pause, but we'll see. Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm not in the front office, obviously. I'm just a guy who has takes on college football and how you think guys work out, but I I think the Lions would be better served to not draft a quarterback this time around, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I don't really know. Like, I think I think Bryce Young is that number one overall pick. And then after that, I think there's a lot of just kind of, I don't know, like you said, Stroud. Reminds me a lot of Justin Fields, for better or for worse. There's clearly talent there, but will it transition into a great pro quarterback? I mean, it's still early on fields, and he ran for almost 180 yards yesterday. And so I, I know a lot of people are still in on fields. I was never a big believer in fields, um, but, I mean, that was that was a fun game to watch yesterday. It was a fun game. Yeah, absolutely. And then the uh, you mentioned Trubisky. I'll get some Steelers thoughts out here since I haven't. This is the first time, by the way, that we've talked football on this show in almost a year, so I've got some thoughts. Steelers offense needs a major makeover. I don't think it's a problem of either quarterback. I actually think both quarterbacks have looked okay this year. It's more just a matter of scheme, play calling, reflects Matt Canada, and this is something that had been discussed coming into the season as a concern from a lot of Steelers fans. Um be interesting to see how Chase Claypool Claypool does leaving that scheme cuz I don't think he was overly impressive with the Steelers. It was interesting that I I couldn't believe the Steelers got a second round pick for him to be to tell the truth. I thought maybe a third or a fourth.
1: As uh, as somebody who owns George Pickens in a dynasty fantasy football league, I am nice I, I was glad. I was glad to see one of those receivers get traded in the hopes that he might finally get some targets, since uh, you know he was kind of hard to. He'd, he'd have splashes and then uh, not. But I mean, it's just like it's. You're right. It's a scheme thing. Like I feel like they're kind of wasting Najee Harris. Like he's a pretty yeah. talented running back, and um, you know, I I, th- I think Kenny Pickett. Like this could be the you know, kind of the Andrew Luck year, right? Yeah, or the Troy Aikman um, year. Yeah, the first year with the Colts, the first year with the Cowboys. Like, they're the Peyton Manning years, too. Like, yeah, you, you start a rookie QB, you take your lumps, and, and then you go. I mean, they're certainly not devoid of talent. Um, so, you know, Deontay Johnson is incredibly skilled. I think Pickens will be a good receiver. Najee Harris is good. I, I like Kenny Pickett. I mean, people who watched the show a year ago will remember. Uh, I had a lot of good things to say about Kenny oh, Pickett. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, we've,
0: so, been, we've been big backers of Pickett. I still am. I like the picket to Pickens connection, and honestly, he's not playing this year. He's on IR, but next year, keep an eye out for Calvin Austin out of Memphis. I think he's he could be a poor man's Tyree Kill. He was a fun, electric player to watch in the American Athletic Conference
1: last so, year. Yeah, yeah, I think that. So I think if you can get the right, and I don't know whether I assume it would involve getting a new offensive coordinator, but you bring in the right scheme. You know, they're not devoid of talent. The North is hard, right? I mean, Cincinnati's good, the Ravens are good, but like you don't know what the future is going to bring if Lamar decides to take his talent somewhere else. There's no like earth-shattering team, right? Like the Bengals offense is really good and they're just coming from a Super Bowl, but they're also 4 and 4 or 4 and 5 or 5 and 4. Um, you know, the Ravens score a lot of points, but can't seem to stop anybody. They're going to have to pay their quarterback too. That's going to change the makeup of that right. team. Right. And the Browns, you know, Cleveland, like we haven't seen what they're like with Deshaun Watson yet. And maybe he will just so vastly improve that offense that all of a sudden they'll become world beaters, but it's, there are good teams in the North, but not anybody we look at and go, well, we're going to be staring up at them for the next five or six years. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, let's see what else. So we touched on the Bucks may as well just do the football thing now while we're at it. So the Bucks yesterday, nice drive down at the end of the game, 44 seconds, no timeouts. And it was just like we turned back the clock with Brady. He's still there. He still can do this stuff. Maybe this is the turning point for the Bucs this season. It, as we mentioned, helps that they play in the NFC South. Four and five gets you tied for the division lead. And I don't think any of those other teams are going to flip a switch. So they should win that division. This could be the rallying cry and the turning point for the team at this point in the season.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you look at it and, I mean, we only have one year of sample size with the, the seven team in each conference, but like, you know, you go back to Eli Manning's giants and there have been other teams like you just got to get in yeah. and, you know, once you get in, you can, you know, make things happen. And, you know, how about for-
0: the Eagles with Nick Foles?
1: Yeah yeah same deal exactly you just need you just need somebody to kind of conjure up that magic and the Eagles have been great um and I certainly don't want to say that you know they wouldn't be the favorites and the Vikings have been really good too but like you know you get Brady in the playoffs and like you never know what's going to happen and it it just like kind of the Steelers they're certainly not devoid of talent I mean they've got you know that, that great receiving core with with Mike Evans and uh I can't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head, Um, but Leonard Fournette in the backfield and they've got plenty of offensive weapons. Um, And you know, your newfound uh, favorite tight end K dot and that you just learned about (laughs) yesterday. uh, So um, yeah, I mean, you just, you just got to get in and you know, they're certainly, they should, like you said, I think they're by far the best team in the NFC South. They just got to put it all together and, you know, get healthy. And I, I honestly feel like, You know brady was distracted and you know you can't blame him he's going through a divorce and whatever else um you know that weighs on people like we forget i feel like a lot of times that they're human beings and not just out there competing for you know our entertainment and uh you know maybe now that it's kind of gone through and been finalized you can you know focus and try and you know focus more on football but um yeah, it certainly wouldn't surprise me to see the Bucks make a relatively deep run in the playoffs because they've still got plenty of guys from that team that uh, won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and you know they they still have one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. So uh, I don't think there's any particular reason to ever kind of count them out.
0: Andrew, I've been I know I've been tweeting about it. I don't think the quality of play has been phenomenal at this point through the first half of the season. Now I will say this, however, there are certain teams and certain storylines that I enjoy tuning into each week. So there's a select handful of teams. The Eagles are a team that I think are really fun to watch. Cowboys, um, especially when those two teams play each other again, that division is fun to watch. I think really any of those matchups from the NFC East, at least with the top three teams, those are good games. There are a few other teams, you know, the Bills. Personally, I don't enjoy watching the Chiefs as much as other people do just because I feel like, they're just so good. Like it, it it's it's they're almost too good for me to watch. Um not that I dislike watching them, but come I know they're one team that a lot of people want to always tune in and watch. And then the other one right now is the Seahawks. The Seahawks with Geno Smith. I mean, how many people would have thought that this team would improve with Geno Smith as its starting quarterback while losing a multi-pro Bowl quarterback
1: in Russell Wilson. Yeah. It's been fun to watch with the Seahawks every week. It has been, yeah. And, you know, you, you kind of start – you look at Denver, right? And I feel like those things are kind of related. And that Russ has not – he just hasn't been as sharp. And I know he's been injured and, and other things. And, you know, um, like you thought it would be a change of scenery. And I don't want to say that this is what he is now but I think what he's been in Denver and what he was in Seattle last year is a lot closer to what he is now as opposed to oh uh, once he gets out of Seattle he'll be fine cuz I, I mean there have been moments of brilliance he was started out 10 for 10 on that Monday night game against the Chargers and then they couldn't do anything the last three quarters oh my gosh
0: that was you, you know it's funny we're talking about the fun
1: teams to watch if
0: Denver's on at this point I'm not watching it's it's been
1: terrible Ugh, there was uh I remember joking with somebody when the Broncos went over to London. It was like, can they just stay there? Do they, <laughs> they, Do they have to come back. Um, and I've, you know, the Lions don't ever get invited to play over there, but there were times where I would have felt like that, you know, with the Lions, there's not fun to watch, but yeah, the Broncos have been hard. Um, but yeah, you know, credit to Geno Smith and, you know, Kenneth Walker, the third, we'd sung his praises talking in this space last year, talking about college football and, no, he's I think certainly making a reasonable pitch for uh, at least NFC Rookie of the Year. Um, he's been he's been awesome. He had another two touchdowns yesterday, um, and, and yeah, who would have who would have thought of all the teams we could be talking about in the NFC West that Seattle would be on top of this division, right? I mean, you figured Arizona once Hopkins came back they would get better, and you know Kyler's always kind of been entertaining to watch. In San Francisco, has been to the Super Bowl recently. The Rams are defending Super Bowl champions, and they're all staring up at the Seahawks and Geno Smith. Uh, it's been it's been really entertaining, and a story I hope keeps rolling on because you know that atmosphere in Seattle. You know when when they were playing NFC Championship games there, and and the, you know Richard Sherman, and they were in the throes of all that. It's as fun a place to watch on TV for an NFL game as anywhere. So um, you know. Uh, you know, and, and we'll get to baseball. I don't know whether yeah. we're going to talk to the whole playoffs, but you know, T-Mobile <laughs> Park or whatever it's called now—I I can't remember what. It is T-Mobile. Is it T-Mobile? Okay. It was um, Safeco before, right? Uh, you know, the the atmosphere there in Seattle was great. Uh, those fans are fantastic. I mean, they're—we're not going to talk hockey, but they they fill the Climate Pledge Arena to watch the Kraken play. Uh, they're they're good sports fans out there, and uh, they got a good thing coming. They got a fun team to watch.
0: They have very fun teams to watch. And I just want to give some love to Pete Carroll because I feel like for the past several years, one of the biggest narratives I heard, and I know it wasn't it wasn't everybody, but I, I know a lot of fans, some people in the media, there's a lot of like Pete Carroll is holding Russell Wilson back. And that could have been a belief that Russell Wilson's camp had, because there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that this relationship. Ended up becoming broken and never something that they could repair. And he got traded. I never really believed that that was the case. I think Pete Carroll's a great coach who was finding the he was maxing out on Russell Wilson, a third round pick. Um, I think a lot of the success that he had in this league came as a result of Pete Carroll using him properly and knowing how to best utilize his skill set. And I think he's doing that with Geno Smith right now. I think with Geno Smith, you have a guy who came into the league this is his 10th year and he's having a year where he might get mvp votes they they could legitimately be a contender in the nfc with a guy who has been a career backup for the most part aside from you know he got a couple years there with the jets and to tell the truth he's he looks better than russell wilson did last year and i want to give a credit to geno of course for keeping his nose to the grindstone and sticking with it and never giving up and really love these, uh, love these stories of guys, maybe a case Keenum was another good one who had a nice run with the Vikings, but when they get that moment to shine and they make the best of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been, and it makes me feel a certain kind of way to think about the time that Gino (laughs) Smith has been in the league for 10 years. But uh, yeah. Tell me.
0: He that was worked. the year I graduated high school, 10
1: years ago. So yeah, he worked, he persevered, and yeah, it's, you know, by all accounts, he's a good dude. You like to see good things happen to good people, and, uh, you know, guy gets a shot and makes the most of it, and you, you can't ask for anything more than that. Now, I want to compare
0: that. This is going to transition us to baseball very smoothly. Geno Smith, that story, just a little bit, maybe not totally, but it's a story of a team getting better, after letting go of a multi-all-star player. The Houston Astros were a better team this year with Jeremy Pena at shortstop than they were with Carlos Correa at short a season before that. And really, there weren't that many changes. This was a really a lot of the same Astros from a year ago. They lost Zach Granke, so they that was a loss. Michael Brantley, they didn't have him down the stretch of the season. That was a loss. They got Justin Verlander back. That was a huge get. So that played a factor. But for the most part, it was really a lot of the same team from a year ago. They won almost 10 more games. No, they won 11 more games. And they leveled up from being the runner-up in the World Series to the World Series champion. Jeremy Pena, 25 years old, first rookie shortstop ever to win American League Championship Series and World Series MVPs.
1: How about that? That was pretty good. Uh, let me offer you a little bit, a little bit of piece of trivia. Since you know I am located here in Omaha, the home of the College <laughs> World Series, and he didn't play in it. But where did Jeremy Pena play his college baseball? Oh, that's a good one. I thought I saw it earlier
0: today. Was it okay? So he was a third round pick. I know that he's a it third not, round
1: pick. It's not going to be somewhere you think of. I can almost imagine. So it's a mid major, uh-huh, a, a north major, major, northeastern
0: mid major,
1: a northeastern mid major.
0: Oh my gosh, what conference? America East. America East. I am not going to get it. Where did he play? Jeremy Payne played
1: his baseball at the University of Maine. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and you know, to to segue back to that, like. And I certainly don't blame Carlos Correa for, you know, like it's a business. Um, He was in a contract year, but you know, guys get distracted. Like they're out for themselves. You know, he'd already won a world series, right? They played in like three world series, whatever. He's concerned about, you know, what's best for him. Um, And then you bring in a 25 year old rookie and he just wants to play and win and all this stuff. And he was so good. He was just so good. And like, and there were a couple of guys on that Astros lineup that every time they needed a clutch hit a, uh, you know, they came through with one and, um, you know, I, we can, we can, we should probably talk about the decision to pull Zach Wheeler. We will. We
0: certainly in, will. In, I already in, wrote in an opinion in, piece in on the it. sixth inning. Um, but yeah. Let's wait, hang on. I want to touch on what you just touched on the clutchness factor. Cause I think that's something that, some folks that are really deep into the advanced analytical community, they don't put as much stock in I or it can be a cliche that they there's a human element to this stuff and there are certain players that in big moments perform. and you mentioned the clutchness. Alvarez definitely a clutch player, Bregman. I remember when the series started, my dad's just like, Bregman is a guy who always rises to this these big occasions and he does. And that's a, that's a big part of this thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I just, um, okay. You'll have to remind me cause I, I until the world series, I would like paid attention to the playoffs, right. but wasn't like super focused in, but who was the guy, who was the guy who kept hitting home runs? Uh,
0: who hit the home so run in game six, the home run in game six.
1: Yeah, just Game to put him second. up three to one.
0: Oh, Alvarez. My okay, Alvarez.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't think of. It was like, but I just like why do and I thought about this conversely the other way when Schwarber hit that home run uh to put Philly up one-nothing. Like, why do guys keep pitch why do players keep why do they keep pitching him? Like, why do you keep pitching Jordan Alvarez? Like he well, hits a home run he hits a home man, one, the one home run and and, and he, all this stuff and just like I, you know you just like when these guys come up in big hit situations right like Pena in game four you hit the home run in game four in Philly or was it game five I can't remember which game Pena hit the home run in doesn't matter it was uh, one it was one of the ones Houston won in Philadelphia he hit the home yeah. run and put him ahead and just like I mean, these guys just come up in big spots and you know they've been doing it for three four weeks now you just know somebody's gonna come up with a big hit Alvarez hits that home run in the bottom of the sixth inning Game six to put him ahead for good. Pena hits the home run. Uh, you know, Bregman hits home runs, uh, gets big hits the right Kyle time. Walker hit the and, two and in just, the game you know, run. and it's and it's it's remarkable to me. You know, with Pena and like Bregman was a a key part of the Astros' run. You know, they won the first time, but um, you know he's been a part of that team. At, but you know, Alvarez has been there for a couple of years and has, has kind of gone through the gear, uh, the grind and everything, but, you know, Pena being a rookie and just by then just these two young guys, that you just know we're going to come through, uh, in, in the clutches. It's a good luxury to have. And I will be, you know, as we, as we carry on, I'll be honest, I'm kind of conflicted about this. You know, I mean, the Astros had that giant black mark on them after the, you know, the, the, the cheating scandal and Rob Manfred, and it's just a piece of metal. And, Whatever. Um, and we can have another podcast sometime to talk about our thoughts <laughs> about Rob Manfred. But um, you know, it's it's like it's weird because like I'm so happy for Dusty, right? Like, oh, yeah. like Dusty's wow. been a baseball lifer. Dusty's a really good dude. Um, like really happy for him. Um, you know, and like some of these other guys, you know, like Peña, like Alvarez, like they're not, you know, tainted in that same way. Justin Verlander won his first World Series game. Um, but you're some of the other ones like Altuve Bregman were on that team. And it's like, I don't know how to feel right. Like I wasn't rooting against the Astros. I wasn't rooting for them. Like I'm happy for some of their players. I'm not sure if I'm happy for others. Like, you know, and I know that was what, five, six years ago, but like it just, you know, for uh, was five eight, years ago, five years ago. So it was like, I just, I don't know how to feel about the whole thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very conflicted, but I'm happy for Dusty, you know, uh, happy for Pena. He played so well. Um, and yeah, it was it was an entertaining series. It was really, really enjoyable. I've learned that there are like now apparently a million guys in the majors who throw 98 or harder. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, I, you know, I didn't watch the Phillies like closely at all during the regular season. It's like, who are these guys? And they keep bringing in guy after guy who's pumping that, it. Are me. you uh, referencing Major League there? Um, who are these Who are these guys? I, I kind of felt like that sometimes. I was like, who, <laughs> who, who is this team? Um, but yeah, and you know, it, conversely, building up to World Series, it felt like Bryce Harper had that clutch factor, right? You just knew he was going to come up with something. Um, but yeah, the playoffs were, you know, we'll, we'll get into the minutia and all that. But just overall, the playoffs were very an entertaining product. I highly enjoyed it. Uh, the Dodgers Padres series was entertaining. Astros Seattle series was entertaining.
0: Yeah. Those games were great.
1: I mean, those games were fantastic. Uh, there was lots of really good games and, uh, you know, the the Padres and Mets, uh, and the wild card and, and all that stuff. It was, it was really entertaining. Um, so, you know, hopefully you always hope that like baseball can spring forward off of, uh, putting out a good product and let it build for the future.
0: I think baseball has been going up like this for a few years. I mean, the ratings have been going up in the regular season. Um, I have not looked at the numbers for the postseason this year, but I have to think they did pretty well. They also were smart. It didn't end up playing out this way, but they were strategically, I think, this World Series, they wanted to have – Sunday as a travel day. Or no, they were going to wrap the series up before Sunday. So they were going to avoid trying to go toe to toe with the NFL, which I thought that was a good call. Um we had, you and I had texted about this privately. They they initially would have liked to get those wild card games in before the weekend so they weren't going up against NFL and college football. So I think that's another thing. Ratings will go even higher up if you're playing these games in the middle of the week rather than Going up against all the, these other options, but I think the numbers did relatively well. I saw at least an an increase um, in the regular season. And I think there are a lot of exciting young players and teams to get excited about right now. I mean, there's it seems like every team, maybe not every team, but most teams have one guy or one
1: prospect that is just must see TV. Yeah, you just have to hope, like. I feel like one of the failures of major league baseball throughout most of my lifetime has been an inability to really market the stars, right? Like you you get to know these guys and because like the only other, the only other major professional sports league where you can see them regularly in terms of see them uh, is the NBA right? Because in hockey, they're wearing pads and helmets. In the NFL, they're wearing pads and helmets. And like, you get to see them on the sideline, but like, you know, you get to see all this stuff. And I wonder, like, there was a, you know, the running joke five or six years ago was how many people could pick Mike Trout out of a lineup, right? Like, and and things like that. And like, I feel like people know Shohei Otani, because like, he's such a unicorn that, you know, he's, everybody kind of knows who he is. Um, And there are others, but I feel like, you know, now it's kind of the onus on baseball to keep it going. And they had a good thing a year or two ago, right? The kids can play. Uh, they had Kendrick, Let the kids and, play. And all that, let the kids play and, and all that stuff. So if they can keep building on it, because there are enough marketable guys. Um, you know, they're fun young players. And, like, it's a – so hopefully baseball cashes in on it and, and doesn't mess it up. I don't have a whole lot of faith in them, having watched <laughs> this league for a long time. Um, but you know, maybe one day I'll be surprised. Um, and hopefully that's the case because there are a lot of fun young players out there uh, we should be talking about.
0: Well, Andrew, uh, you touched on so many things I'd like to go back to. Dusty Baker, I like to think of him as like the Forrest Gump of Major League Baseball. This guy just has a million experiences. I was thinking they should do, here's a way you can market the league make some commercials. Dusty Baker. He once partied with Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. He once wants, he wants fished, blah, blah, blah. He is the most interesting manager
1: in baseball. I mean, he is, right? You think about uh, you know, the O2 World Series, right? With yep. uh, JT Snow pulling Darren Baker out of the way and, and all that stuff. And then the O3 NLCS with the Cubs and Bartman and all that stuff. And, you know, it's just kind of like you, you flip back and going back to his days playing with Hank Aaron and, and all that stuff. He just... Uh, you, you know, you try and figure out like if there was an exciting moment, Dusty was probably there somewhere. So um <laughs> uh, I hadn't considered that, but that's, that's a pretty apt description. He just happens to be everywhere.
0: <laughs> I thought about that when I talked to Scott Pollard like six months ago. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you were there for that. Oh, two Kings Laker series. Oh, and you were on that Celtics team in 08 when you guys won. Uh, and beat the Lakers oh and you were on that Cavs team in 07 that went to the final it was just like oh my gosh oh and you were at the malice at the palace like <laughs> you just seem to be like there's like a screen a snapshot of NBA history through the first decade of the 2000s and Scott Pollard was
1: lurking in every scene
0: <laughs> Kansas product by the way
1: yeah yeah he was I was just thinking about it. I think he was on that uh 97 team with Paul yeah. Pierce that yeah. uh, would've played Valpo, but they got upset by Rhode Island in the second round.
0: <laughs> I should have said, I should have mentioned that to him. Oh my gosh. But okay, so uh you mentioned Wire team's pitching the Alvarez. Well, I was going to mention that Mariners game. I think it was the Robbie Ray when he took Robbie Ray out mm-hmm. on that home run. Maybe it was a different one cuz he hit so many big home runs there was one that the ball was at least a foot off the plate where they were just like, we are pitching around you and he's still going out of the zone and swinging on that. Mm -hmm. Now as for Schwarber, I honestly don't have a problem pitching to Schwarber because he doesn't do a lot of damage with runners on base. He's he's batting leadoff, So if he beats me, it's one run versus three runs. I am not, Terrified of pitching to Schwarber the way I would be with a Jordan Alvarez, who's I, mean, I, th-
1: I think more so just in that particular situation because he'd hit Houston pitching so well. It's like, you know, and, and this is going to dovetail. We can talk about Zach Wheeler. Yeah, I we don't will. understand. And you reminded me about Robbie Ray. I don't understand what it is about postseason baseball that all of a sudden causes managers to lose their minds <laughs> and go. I'm gonna do something completely different from whatever <laughs> we did to get the 162 games, you know, prior to get here. Like, Robbie Ray is not a bullpen guy. Why are you bringing Robbie Ray in with one out in the ninth inning with, with runners two on runners base? on base? With two runners on base, like, like what are we doing? Okay, you have a whole relief staff who has pitched in these situations all year. And now we're just going to go and, like, well, he's our best pitcher. Let's bring him in this situation where he totally doesn't belong and hasn't been since he was probably, I don't know, college, high school, the minor, something. But let's bring him on with two runners on and one out in the ninth because, I mean, on the one hand, I get, like, you want your best guy in the situation, but you need to put the best guy who's ready for that situation in that situation. Like, if we're not going to put in relievers in relief situations, what's the point of having – Relievers, we should just like have twelve starters and just go about it.
0: Well, I think the other thing is, if you want to use a starting pitcher, let's say you're going in the tenth inning, you're starting fresh. Essentially, it's a it's a tie game. It can feel similar sure. to opening a game. Same thing. I'm again, it could be you know pitching the eighth inning or whatever. You're going for long relief. But give that guy a clean inning. Do not put him in with runners on base, which, like you say, that's not something that he's probably dealt with since he was in college or in high school. Now, uh, some of these guys may get a little bit of run in the bullpen in the postseason. So maybe maybe he saw that when he pitched for the Blue Jays a couple years ago in the postseason. I don't know. But nonetheless, um, yeah, I agree with you. And also, this – Decision to take Zach Wheeler out of the game. is I'm going to bring this up because otherwise it would have stopped. I would have gone on some big, long tangent about 2016 Cubs with John Lester and Kyle Hendricks and Joe Madden and all that. Not today. Don't have time for it. I did write the piece that the decision to pull Zach Wheeler. And I remember I texted. I've got the group chat. Jake Poliga, Jordan Morandini, Griffin Morandini, Connor, Evan, Connor Ennis, all diehard Phillies fans. And we're talking, and I just said, like, I would not pull Wheeler here, especially in this situation. Similar to what we're talking about here, Andrew. Um, I guess I'll let you give your point first, and then I can circle back to the piece I wrote about. Why was this such a bad
1: decision? I mean, it just – this goes back to the discussion we are having earlier. I just feel like managers get in their heads so much in the postseason. And it's like, oh, well, we've got... I mean, how many pitches had he thrown? Like 70? 70. He was he at 70 seven pitches. pitches in five. And it felt so eerily similar to... Like Snell. Yeah. It's, it's the so, same
0: exact thing. Game yeah. six of the World Series, he, Snell was at 73 pitches. They were up one nothing. It was the exact same thing.
1: And, like, if he'd been wild or lost his control or whatever, I get it. But this is, like... Guys have been conditioned to to take the ball and go as long as you'll let them, and there was no trouble, right? He tossed five shutout innings. Uh, he had his command. He looked really good, and it's just like, oh well, we've got the lead now, and we can we can turn it over to our bullpen and you know whatever else. And I saw somebody later reference the fact that Alvarez or uh, yeah Alvarez absolutely kills lefties. So it's he like, they, they, yeah. so, so Philly goes to the bullpen, brings in a left and just, it just, it just, it fell apart from there. And I feel like you, you mentioned Blake Snell, like you don't want to talk about 2016 and like, but it felt like Kyle Hendricks <laughs> yeah. and like the Cubs managed to win that game in spite of themselves. Um Actually, this might be more comparable to that because
0: in the case of Blake Snell, the, the uh, Rays had the best bullpen in the league and going to their bullpen early had been their strength throughout the season. In this case, their starting pitching with the Phillies had always their best two pitchers on their roster, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. Really don't think anyone was all that close to that. You could maybe make a case for uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez or for uh, Ranger Suarez, but those are good pitchers. These guys are great pitchers. And yep. in that case you're playing and you're not even bringing in one of those guys. You're bringing in the next rung down from that Alvarado. Who's a, again, good reliever, David Robinson, good reliever. The Phillies were not known for having a great bullpen this year. That had been one of the, it wasn't known as a strength of their team. Unlike having a Wheeler out there for them was so they weren't playing to their strengths. And that was a similar thing that the Cubs did with Joe Madden because Hendrick's that was the strength of the team to have Hendricks in that game, and given how much he had used Chapman in that whole postseason, you knew that that wasn't going to go well. So you, it was a, it was a matter of not playing to your team's strengths. In that case, I don't think the Snell thing. Even though, like, we can stand here and we can talk about it was the wrong decision. Everyone knows it was the wrong decision. I don't think that one was even as. I don't think. I think this one was worse than that. Is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, the thing I get is that again, if he'd been in trouble, if he had struggled, you know, you, you see something you're like fine, right. You know, he's missing location. What you know, he'd missed and guys just missed hitting home runs or something like, all right, fine. He, he doesn't have it. He had it. And it's not like you're saving him, right? This isn't like it's game two and you're like, all right, we can save him. You know, we won't tax his arm. Like we'll bring him back for game seven. Like, He's not going to pitch in game seven. Like you ride him till he's like, I can't go anymore because, you know, he's going to give you everything he has. And then he's not going to throw a competitive pitch until, I don't know, March, probably like his arm will have plenty of time to rest.
0: And I just like, he had given up three hits and one walk, no runs.
1: Like, like you just want, I feel like managers should want the guy the you want your best guys to have the ball like the yeah. point you made about being the a rung below where they are just you know I I mean I I could sit here and and second guess for a long time and there's a reason I'm not a big league manager right I'm 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 sitting here and teaching college classes and and writing for <laughs> a newspaper but I I just I don't understand and I feel like this happens all the time right like and, 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 you know, to, to your point about the Rays, like the Rays were being who they are. And I to that to that credit, you know, um, to Kevin Cash, right? You, you tip your head and you say, all right, you, you be who you are. But, like, that's who you got to be. Managers get in their head so much and they're like, oh, it's the postseason. I have to manage totally differently now. And, like, that's, as a fan, that's just got to be so incredibly aggravating. Be like, there's a reason you got to this point. Just keep doing what you're doing. And instead, it's like, now nah, we're going to take our best pitcher out after five innings and 70 pitches, and we'll turn it over to our bullpen, who hasn't been the strength of our team like.
0: Well, this is what I was talking about with Kyle Kendrick a couple weeks ago. Kyle, of course, a member of the 2008 Philadelphia Phillies that won the World Series and the 09 team that went back to the World Series. When he came into the league in 07, there was very little focus on pitch counts or really now the new one is the we got to pull these guys before they face the lineup the third time. This was when he came in, it was, I want my starter going until he doesn't have it anymore until you know what it looked like, kind of like you talk about if he's really losing his control, he's putting on guys on base. He's walking guys, even though he has not done the damage has not been inflicted yet. Yes, they would get pulled, but for the most part, it would be either that. So signs that, Signs that they were no longer as effective as they were, or they had not been as effective as they were, so they had given up runs. And you just ride that starter as deep into the game as you can. He said, I think it was Cliff Lee. He's like, Cliff Lee took a game into the 10th inning one time when we were on that team. We weren't thinking about pitch counts, and you know what? The pitch count stuff is good for preserving guys' arms, especially in the regular season, and it can be helpful. But in this case, So then, yeah, so anyway, Kyle, by the time he was leaving the league in around 2017, that was when stuff was really changing, where it's like, okay, magic number 95, 100, you're done. You can't go past that. Similarly, now the new thing is, okay, I cannot let my starting pitcher face the lineup the third time through, because analytically, these guys hit that starting pitcher better the third time they face them than the first two times they face them. And that may be true, but are they still going to hit Zach Wheeler the third time through better than they would a pitcher who's not as good as Zach Wheeler? And then the other thing I would say is, in addition to you know all of this stuff that we're talking about uh, with the pitch counts and pulling guys the third time through, I played baseball. I did not play at this high of a level, but when we faced a pitcher that we could not touch... We were so happy when he came out of the game. Mm-hmm. Chaz McCormick, the center fielder for the Houston Astros, someone had tweeted, I saw this on Twitter the other day. It was like Astros had to be happy when Wheeler came out of the game. And he said yes. Like he tweeted back the guy, and just said yes. Yeah. It tells
1: you everything I mean, you need to know. Yeah. And I mean it's it's, you know, I feel like you want to bring it back to Dusty. You look at what he did with Verlander in game five. Right, and he got in trouble early. Didn't give up any runs, but he could have Dustin could easily gone. You know what? He doesn't have it, and he stuck with him, and he worked through it, and they won that game. And conversely, the decision you know that the Phillies made to pull Wheeler after five innings, even though he had it, um, you know that's it wasn't the same game, right? It would have been more poetic if it had played out in the same game. But like you compare those decisions and that's, you know, one of the reasons why the Astros are having a, you know, the schools and stuff are shut down today and they're having a victory parade. And, uh, you know, the Phillies are at home cleaning out their lockers or or doing whatever. So, uh, yeah, I just – and it's not going to stop, right? Managers are not all of a sudden going to get out of their heads. It's going to be a decision that continues to happen. And, you know, it happens sometimes in the regular season too, Um, you know, uh, I feel like I could probably earn kudos with my friends who are White Sox fans if we talk about some of the decisions that Tony La Russa made. And <laughs> I know he's not coming back, but um, but you know, guys just get in their heads sometimes, and they're like, I, "I have to do this thing," and I don't, I don't know why that is. And like I said, I'm never going to manage at that level. You know, I'll be happy if I end up coaching, you know, kids' t-ball at some point. Um, but like, I just don't, I, I don't understand why all of a sudden, like. And, it, and I feel like it happens in other sports too, right? Oh, like, it does, all of yeah. a sudden coaches go, I'm going to totally leave the thing that got us here. We're going to try and do something totally. Yeah. Good. We're,
0: we're in the second half. We're up 20 points and we're just only, we're going to sit on the ball. We're going to run it. We're not going to let our
1: quarterback
0: clinch this game for yep. us.
1: Yeah, yeah. It happens a lot. And you know, I, I like, it, it, you know, we'll, we'll have about probably 10, 15 minutes to get to college basketball here, but like you watch, <laughs> You know, guys, teams get big leads, and all of a sudden they're just like draining the clock and milking possessions. And okay, we'll fire up a three-pointer, but we're not really going to run our offense anymore. Even though we were running our offense for the first thirty minutes, we shot sixty percent from the field and built a twenty-point lead. But we can't do that now. You know, it's like it's the last two minutes of a game. We got to just bleed. I don't, I don't get it. I Don't get it.
0: I want to say, having said
1: all of that, it's
0: unfortunate because this is what we'll remember a lot of us will remember about how Rob Thompson managed his team in this postseason. He did a prior to this. I thought he'd put on a masterclass display of managing his bullpen. I thought he pulled guys uh, at the right time in a lot of games. I think he managed aggressively. He tried to win every game instead of saying, okay, you know what? We need to save this guy for tomorrow. He, he, he managed with urgency. And that was a big reason why they won that series in San Diego. and well, I mean, not in San Diego against San Diego, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And then uh the other thing, though, I want to say as to why did things go the way that they did? This is something I spoke about with Mike Huff last week on our last episode. The Phillies, in my opinion, got exposed in a long series because up until so they played a best of three, then a best of five. The Padres won a best of five. So two teams that were not dominant in the regular season got to the NLCS. Well, now the Phillies had to play a best of seven, which yes, they did against the Padres. But that wasn't—I I don't, I don't think that's a great example because they were only separated within a game of each other in the regular season. The Astros were 20 wins, 19 wins better than the Phillies. In the depth of their team, the depth of their bullpen, the depth of their pitching staff in a best of seven series, you can't really have a couple of guys piggyback you all the way to win. Now, obviously, that's happened a couple times. I think about the 2001 Arizona Diamondbacks with Curt Schilling and Randy Johnson, but that was the way I looked at this Phillies team was they were a top heavy team. They had two two great starting pitchers. They had... Uh, an excellent three, four, five bats in their lineup, but not an excellent lineup throughout. And, you know, they caught lightning in a bottle. They had great team chemistry. They got hot at the right time. They caught some breaks and capitalized on them. But in this case, in a best-of-seven series, I think the the better team uh, rose to the top
1: in this particular instance. Yeah. As it should. Yeah. Yeah. That's just what the point I was going to make. Like, you know, the, the, I texted a group chat today that said Selection Sunday is 125 days away. Yes. And like, <laughs> like the NCAA basketball tournament is great because it produces so many varied outcomes, right? If, if St. Peter's in Kentucky last year played basketball 100 times, Kentucky would probably win 99 of them. But the one that St. Peter's won was the one that counted and, you know, the same kind of deal. Then if they played Murray State 100 times. Um, and if they played Purdue a hundred times, um, but it produces, you know, so varied outcomes and very rarely does the best team, you know, Kansas wasn't rated number one, but I feel like last year was one of the few where you look at it and you go, all right, one of the best teams in college basketball really won the NCAA tournament. But like in the NBA, in the NHL, in major league baseball, once you get to these long series, like they're designed for the team who should, who is the best should win. Right. You take enough varied outcomes out of there that over the course of seven games, the better team should win four of them. Um, and I, you know, it, it wouldn't have been a disservice to anybody, right. There've been a lot of world series champions. You know, you think about all the teams who won the wild card or whatever, right. The Marlins and, and all that other stuff that just, you know, they got, they caught, like you said, they caught lightning lot and you know, had a bottle at the right time and just carried on. But um. You know, over the course of a seven-game series, a better team should win. And, you know, that, that it, it's justice that the Astros won this one because, they, as you said, yeah. rotation, bullpen, order, just the depth of the batting order, just depth of everything. Fielding,
0: another one. We didn't talk about that. Fielding. Phillies, hey, they had some guys make up, step up, make some big plays in the postseason, but they were one of the worst defensive teams yeah. for the regular season. That yeah. makes a difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's fitting, right, that the, that the Astros won, like, on the one hand, if you wanted great theater, right, it, you look at it and you go, well, maybe it would have would have been better if the Dodgers hadn't gotten eliminated in the NLDS, right, um, because they won 100. Or the
0: Braves, yeah. Braves or the Mets, right. I mean, I thought. You get, you, get teams who win
1: a, you get a bunch of teams who won 100-plus games or almost 100, but, you know, maybe that would have produced but it's not like we can sit here and say it was a bad series. Right? Oh,
0: it was great. Like, yeah. Things I were mean, tight
1: throughout. You know, uh to credit to your point, um, you know, the, the Phillies could have folded in game one once they got down five nothing and didn't. Um and Thompson managed Thompson managed to to win that game still and they come back and they they win and get their split in Houston. Then you're like, all right, maybe they're actually gonna do this. Um and Merlander got his
0: big moment. He wins the game. That was the pr- I wrote a piece that that was going to be a career defining outing for him just because how many times are we going to see Justin Verlander in the spot? Again, we may never see it. He's a free agent. He could go to another team. Maybe another team slays the dragon next year. He's age 38, age 39. Like, and this was, you know, one of the last moments that we saw Justin Verlander on a baseball diamond. And he came up clutch. He won that game and I don't know if you saw any of the interviews with him and Kate Upton. Those were great. I love that. There was a very human side to it. I loved how supportive she was. Like, I, a lot of times when players' wives kind of show up and, um, not not in the case of someone like Stephanie but I'm talking about like celebrity power couples I'm not that interested in kind of like hey look at how great our life is look at our marriage whatever you know how you know how people can be with that stuff and this is a couple that's very public figures so a lot of times I'm like okay you know great there's Kate Upton cool whatever but the if I'd encourage you guys to listen to that and just kind of hear how much she supports him and how much he enjoyed having last year to really be around um, and be with his daughter. There was a really cool, just human moment there. Um, and like you said, just talking about guys who are coming up big in this spot, he came up big, and it was it was fun to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really was. And it, it's kind of funny. There's a segment of uh, Tiger's Twitter that is a little disappointed only because now, like, and maybe he was already going to do it, but like for some people, there's a really concern and I don't know why people worry about this, but what hat he wears when he goes in the hall of fame, right? Like, you know, he probably goes in wearing an Astros hat now, right? Which is fine. Like whatever. I mean, maybe he decides, you know, he made his career in Detroit. I don't know. But like, you know, that's, it's been, you know, I've watched him play since, you know, when he was coming up in the 2006 season and, you know, see him, um, you know, have all that success. And he's another one who genuinely seems like a good person. You know, you talked about the, the human moment that they get and, uh, yeah, it was good. And it, you know, at 38 to still be nails, man, that's, you can't ask for anything more than that. All right. So I've done on baseball at this point. I mean,
0: we'll still be doing plenty of content. I'm sure if you guys want my baseball thoughts, check them out. Uh, go to si.com slash fan nation. Better,
1: better rest up. Winter meetings are in like five weeks.
0: Yeah. I'm going to actually be in Arizona then. I won't be at the meetings, but I'll be taking a trip to Arizona doing some work remote for a couple
1: of I mean, weeks. We got people opting out and free agency and yeah. It never stops.
0: Oh, it doesn't stop. I'm still working the same amount of hours, but now I don't have to stay up as late because there aren't games. So that's nice. So if you guys want more baseball content, check it out. Um, Just Google SI fastball. All of it's there. I should be giving you somewhere between 30 and 40 pieces a week, even in the off season. Um, And then we'll do some more baseball content on this show in the off season. We're going to have some, certainly some interviews, with some players, uh, maybe former players. I know at least of a couple minor league players that we're going to talk to. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Should be fun. Um, but for that's it for right now in terms of baseball. Uh, we've got 15 minutes here.
1: We'll probably stretch it to 20. Okay.
0: All right. So we got a few minutes. Uh, sadly, we weren't. Do you want to touch on, do you want to do a quick college football here for like two minutes? Sure. All right. So this weekend wasn't as great of a weekend as say that I was really hoping that Tennessee game against Georgia was going to be the all time classic that we saw against Alabama a few weeks ago. It wasn't that. I think we heard it on the broadcast. Seemed like the moment may have just been a little too big for them. Couldn't convert uh, in Georgia territory. Um, But hey, we're excited. TCU Maybe they get into the top four this week from the college
1: football playoff committee. I mean, I I don't understand. There's a lot I don't understand. Right? Like, <laughs> like I don't understand why, and, and, it, and look, people who've listened to this before know I'm a Michigan guy, right? But um, like they were number five last week, and people were all up in arms, like, oh, they should be ahead of Clemson, and it's like it's a month before this stuff matters, right? Like. It, it gives people something to debate right and and whatever else but it's manufactured tv in the broad scheme of things it doesn't mean anything like people it don't, doesn't mean anything cuz people their ways out people don't get all up in arms for the most part when the NCAA basketball committee releases their uh you know mock 16 right on the <laughs> sunday after the Super Bowl, right? Like, hey, pay attention to college basketball again. Here's where we are. We're going to meet. We're going to – if the tournament started today, which it doesn't, doesn't start for another month, but if it started today, <laughs> this is how we would see the top 16. And it's just like there are so many – there's still a month left of the season, right? Uh, so many things are going to happen. Teams are going to play their way in, play their yeah. way out. I don't know. Maybe Tennessee loses again. Maybe Tennessee wins the rest of their games. And we're gonna have to, you know, figure out how do you decide between you know what if I don't know, pick your pick your big 12, your Pac-12 team du jour, right? Whether it's UCLA, USC, or Oregon, but give them one loss. Like if you've got a one loss, because TCU's in if they go undefeated, right? There's there's, exactly there's zero question. And Clemson lost too. So there's there's zero question. That TCU, if they go undefeated, will be in the playoff. Now the question becomes if TCU, which they're a seven point underdog going to Austin this weekend, if they drop a game somewhere along the way but still win, and again, this is a point where you start to wonder does it possibly hurt the big 12 that they do the round robin and then you've got to play again? But that's another podcast issue discussion (laughs) we can have. It does. Long story short, it does. Uh so, like, what do we do all of a sudden if things play out and you end up – you assume Georgia's undefeated, right? And you assume the winner of Ohio State, Michigan's undefeated. That they, they they roll through, they, they win the next two conference games, wins so that one, and then wins the Big Ten. So you've got an undefeated Georgia, an undefeated Michigan, Ohio State, whichever one. And then all of a sudden now we've got a Pac-12 champ with one loss, a Big 12 champ with one loss. We've got Tennessee at 11 and one. You've got the loser of Michigan, Ohio state, presumably at 11 and one. And like 10 10 10 to LSU. LSU. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, you know, if it, it, in this situation, right. If Georgia goes through, like L, if LSU beats Georgia, that will be an interesting scenario because there's never been a two loss team who's made to playoff. And if LSU has two losses, but it's the SEC champ and has beaten Alabama and Georgia and now Georgia in the SEC title game, like. Then you've got to look and go. Well, maybe this is a thing. Maybe,
0: maybe it's the, the, the two thousand LSU, two thousand seven LSU team right. that so, won the so, championship
1: with two losses. But but here is the thing: is that like, you know, people are already kind of like, well, Tennessee's Tennessee should get in at eleven and one. But conference championships should matter.
0: Yes. Right. Otherwise,
1: like, why th- do we do them? And right. And what if North Carolina beats Clemson and is eleven is twelve and one? Like, if they're one loss champs in the ACC, the Pac twelve, and the Big Twelve, like. I, I think there should be a legitimate consideration. And then you start to wonder, well, how do you decide between, okay, the sec champs undefeated, the big 10 champs undefeated, those two are in, but then how do you draw the lines between the other three? And yeah. you know, it, it, like the RPI is dumb, right? And now it's the net ranking and like, there are ways to game that and whatever, but like, there's no real way to compare these teams and like, well, well, the big 12, big 12 from top to bottom is probably the best of those three leagues. But I don't, you know, like people be like, well, if we put TCU and Oregon in a neutral field, like how would you, you know, who would be favored? And, you know, that's a terrible way to decide who we're going to yeah. put in the playoffs. So, you know, I have faith in that that it, but there's also point. a chance that it could be, there could just be complete and utter chaos, right? Like what if, what if Illinois puts it together and, and, beats the undefeated Big 10 East champ. And all of a sudden Illinois wins, like Illinois is not going to the playoff. They're going to the Rose Bowl at 11 and 2, but like now you've got Ohio State with one loss, Michigan with one loss, like it there there's still possibilities for a lot of chaos, which is kind of why I love it. <laughs> well, my point to the whole idea of like,
0: oh, who would win on a neutral turf for the eye test or the sniff test or whatever they want to call it, the scratch and sniff test. I, I don't know what they're doing.
1: What? You should trademark that.
0: <laughs> scratch and sniff test. <laughs> okay, so the thing is, why do we even play games then? Let's just let's just start at the very beginning and say, okay, this team won four games, or this team's number one, this team's number two. We got our preseason rankings done. Let's just start there. Yeah, I mean, not have
1: these games. That's 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 a whole other. I mean, part, yeah. another part of the problem is is that there's so much. People are bound so heavily to the preseason polls, and oh, they're all just kind of guesses, right? Like, like you look at, you know, even the playoff rankings. Like, would Georgia, based on. Now, maybe the win on Oregon, I guess. Maybe you say they do. But then they struggled with Missouri. They struggled with Kent State. You go, would they have been the number one team? I guess they were number three. Would they have been the number three team when you're ranking these teams if they hadn't started in the top five in the AP poll in the preseason, right? If they hadn't been, I don't remember where they were, number one, number two. I don't remember where it all was. Probably not, right? But then you start to look and because if you look at resume, right? You, the beloved TCU have wins over all these top twenty-five teams. Like they should, in theory, if you just look based on where people are and everything else and what they've done up to this point, they should probably have been number one. But because they started they're unranked, right? To start the year. Like because they're unranked to start the year. Hmm? Yeah.
0: What team are you talking about? TCU? Uh-huh. Yep, they were unranked. Because
1: you're unranked to start the year, like you've got to go, you gotta climb higher, and you like you just end up staying behind teams because that's that's how we do it. And like I know the AP poll doesn't really matter, but I think the the playoff committee tends to kind of mirror what the AP poll does, or the AP poll tends to kind of mirror what the the playoff committee does. And like because there's only four spots, and you know, when we get to the expanded playoff with 12, that a lot of not all the problems, but a lot of the problems will be alleviated. But like now, you know, there's four spots, there's five power conferences, somebody going to be unhappy, right? So it's like the other leagues almost need to root for somebody else to lose and then turn around and win because like if North Carolina loses again, like loses to NC State, but then beats Clemson and they're a two loss ACC champ, well, they got two losses, they're out. So that makes the math easier because right now there's you know, there's a lot of possibilities and there's no point in getting upset about it now. You know, we can... People can argue until they're blue in the face if they want. It's just good content for ESPN and it gets people to talk about things like we're talking about it now, but, um, you know, stuff doesn't matter. doesn't matter.
0: Okay. Let's talk about something that does for
1: 10 minutes here.
0: I am pumped. It's college basketball season. Uh, we're probably going to have to do another episode so that we can (laughs) go deeper into this at some point soon. Um, I told Andrew before we started recording I am going in cold. I really did not pay a whole lot of attention to news outside of baseball the past several weeks. I mean, I, like I said, watch some NFL on Sundays, more college football on Saturdays. Cause I've had more free time on Saturdays, but my favorite aside from baseball, college basketball, we get going games are already being played right now, which is great. I love this. I love this. Uh, is this Midnight Madness? Are they still calling it Midnight Madness?
1: I don't think they call it that anymore, but it's like, you know, on the one hand, it's really great. Like, I love Baylor, and I was watching Baylor and Mississippi Valley State. It it tipped off at 11 a.m. That kind of got the day going, and we're off and running. But part of the problem is that, you know, like normally the Champions Classic would be the second day. Yeah. Because they change when the season started. And because tomorrow's election day, I think there was a big push to get everybody to play on Monday. So there'll be very few games tomorrow, which is fine. Oh, but um, yeah, but, there are
0: no uh, top 25 games tomorrow.
1: Yeah. I, everybody, everybody's, everybody's 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 playing tonight. And it's like, you know, open the season and then there'll be some on Thursday. And I know people are really looking forward to Friday, right? That's the carrier classic game. Gonzaga and Michigan state are playing on an aircraft carrier. I think it's in San Diego. It could honestly just be just about anywhere. and Um, so it's kind of like, so it's nice, but it's like you look at the schedule and you like it because it's good, ba- it's college basketball, but there aren't any. Like I think the marquee matchup today is probably people were talking about uh, Vanderbilt and Memphis. And like, you know, the coaching matchup is great, right? Penny Hardaway and Jerry Stackhouse, but like, I don't know if, you know, Memphis should be pretty decent in the American, but like, I don't, I don't know what to make of Vanderbilt basketball. So, um, you know, like there's not really like the nice thing about the Champions Classic, right? Is you look forward to, yeah. Tuesday when is the Champions State. Classic? Uh, next Tuesday, the 15th. Oh, okay. So I was
0: looking at the schedule, like, where is this thing?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's, we got a couple of interesting ones on Friday. Like I said, Michigan State Gonzaga, that is, uh, being played in San Diego on the aircraft carrier. Uh, Stanford also takes on Wisconsin. Uh, they're playing that at, uh, is American Family Field now? I can't remember what corporate sponsor. Uh, the Brewer State. Miller Park. Now. Um, used,
0: to be, used to be Miller Park, now it's American Family Field. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, like, so next week, then we got Duke, Kansas and Kentucky, Michigan State for the Champions Classic, and those will be fun. And Gonzaga, Texas, and there will be some other, you know, fun ones that we build up. And we get, of course, Feast Week is not too far away, and we'll get the field in the Maui Classic is pretty good. And yeah. there are other fields, and there's the PK80 Invitational out in Portland again. That'll be fun uh, with a bunch of the Nike schools. So, but yeah, uh, I mean it's good. It's good to have it back. Um, Valpo tonight opener. Yeah, Open the season at Toledo. Paul Warren is probably on his way to Toledo down the. I don't know how far down the Ohio Turnpike he has to go to get to, <laughs> to Toledo, but I imagine he's on his way there now. And uh, you know, yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot of storylines that uh, you know can get touched on. So what
0: are, what are we looking for? I mean, okay, Let, let's let's touch on this first of all. That's the biggest storylines. Coach K not returning. John Shire is now the head coach, of the Duke Blue Devils. Jay Rice, Jay Wright. Sorry, I said Jay Rice. I don't know why I said Jay Wright. I, I yeah, whatever. Jay Wright spotted at the Phillies playoff game a couple weeks ago. And I wrote a thing. I was like, hey, check out former Villanova head coach Jay Wright. Really <laughs> quietly just slinked away in the night. He's gone. I can't even remember the name of the guy who's coaching Villanova I now. I can't either, to be true. Yeah, exactly. Cause it wasn't and sure it was such a small that. story. It uh-huh. happened so quietly. Yeah. So those are two of them. Two legendary coaches gone, premier vintage uh yeah, prestigious programs. Let's see what they are this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're there are others, right? Can can Hubert Davis kind of North Carolina has gone from okay these guys might actually be pretty good uh but after struggling in the first part you know because he took over after Roy Williams retired so he's going th- he went through what uh John Shire and uh it's Chris something I feel like in Villanova um, guy. we can't remember his name he will we'll make a that, name for himself by the first week if, I'm if, they, if they win you know they win a national yeah. title we'll never forget um or because, if they lose their first game yeah, we will <laughs> yeah, that too right um but like he went through those growing pains last year, but now North Carolina is supposed to be really good. Right. Armando Baycott is back. Leaky black is back. Caleb love is back. Like, you know, they're, you know, preseason top five, right. Uh, you know, Gonzaga is loaded again. Drew Timmy decided to come back. Julian Strother decided to come back. Like Gonzaga will be really good again. And, you know, Kentucky off of the, you know, upset in the first round, Oscar Sheway decided to come back. Um, you know there there are a lot of you know teams who could be really good, but you know that we also have some interlopers, right? Houston, uh, in some places, people are picking them to be you know the number one team. I'm looking at uh, a preview done by the the Field of 68, and they have Houston ranked as their preseason number one. They got Marcus Sasser coming back, and that was a team that got to the Sweet 16, got to the Elite Eight, and uh, you know had lost two of their top five scores in December and just kept rolling through and uh, you know, a team that got to the final four and in, in 21, um, you know, and, and they're back to, to do it again. Um, you know, the big 10 is kind of wide open. Um, Trace Jackson Davis came back uh, for Indiana. Uh, you know, Zach e for Purdue, Hunter Dickinson for Michigan. Um, but there's no dominant team in the big 10. Like I think the highest rated preseason team is Indiana at 13 or 14. And you know that the Big Ten's got thirteen. Uh, yeah, the Big Ten's got the hasn't won a national championship since Michigan State in two thousand. So you're saying that's not going to happen this year? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like it now, but you know, I mean, how many it years changed. have? We, how many years have we looked at it and go? You know, we look at the preseason and go, okay, this team's going to win the national title. There's always somebody that comes out of nowhere. How about last year, my man? You said Kansas Jayhawks. That was your pick. I know. I know I'm almost hesitant to make another pick again. Uh, I should just retire from making picks. But, uh, you know, this could be the year Gonzaga does it. I have decided to come up with a principle that I'm not going to pick Gonzaga to win until they do it. It's the same thing when I fill out an NCAA tournament bracket. Eventually they will, and then I can go ahead and do it. Um, but you know what? It It is. I like. This is going to sound weird. I like all the distraction, right? I don't know if you've been paying attention to the the goings on at Kentucky, right? Uh, Mark Stoops, their football coach, uh, and John Calipari kind of got into a word war with words with uh, (laughs) how Stoops referred to it, or Calipari said we're a basketball school and this and that. Um, (laughs) But I feel like you know Oscar Shebwa, the defending uh, or the reigning national player of the year, um, and. I I think there's a lot of, uh, obviously, uh, desire to get back there. You know, a a similar, I could see them taking a similar path to the uh, 2019 Virginia team, right? They lose in the first round in 2018. It's a big upset, this, that, whatever. They come back, they're focused. Uh, So, you know, we'll we'll put it on the record at 2.53 p.m. Central. Now, standard time. We're no longer Central Daylight Time. Uh, on uh, November 7th, give me the Kentucky Wildcats to cut down the nets oh. in uh, the, San Antonio. Is that where it is? I'm, I couldn't even tell you where the final four is. Phoenix, we San Antonio, San
0: Antonio before, like, didn't that happen like five years ago? Yeah, no, I got to look it up. 2018, maybe, or 2017. Yeah. It's, it's, somewhere it's, in Texas, it's, I think this year. It, yeah.
1: Let's
0: see. It's not Dallas. It's not Houston. Is it Austin? It is Houston. Oh, it is Houston, okay.
1: NRG Stadium, so you know, that's where the Texans play. Yep. So, yeah, let's, yeah, go ahead and put me on the record for Kentucky. And, All right. And then everybody, then everybody can can drag up this video and and laugh at me when they lose to St. Peter's again. <laughs> All right. Well, you know
0: what? You touched on something that I've done every year for like the past four years. I pick, I keep picking Gonzaga, and I know that the year that I don't pick them to win. They're going to win. So I'm going to be nice. I won't pick them this year. So that way they will win. Give them some bulletin board material. I want Coach Powell. I hope you're listening to this. Take this clip. Show it to your team. Jack Vita doesn't believe in us. We got to stick it to that guy. We're going to win one.
1: I'll Give me the Houston Cougars in that, Houston. How about that? that? That I mean, that would be... You, you try to think of... like. Butler nearly did it in Indianapolis, right, when Gordon Hayward almost banked it in from half court. Or, and uh, your teams don't win on home floor anymore. Uh, you know, it's so spread out, you so rarely get that chance. So that would be that'd be quite a story if Calvin uh, Sampson and the Cougars could, could cut the nets down in Houston.
0: I mean, just think about it. This team is – it's a return to Phi Slamma Jamma. They're, they're back after 30 years – Almost 40 years. They're back. They're an elite program. Took them a little bit. But Kelvin Sampson, he's got them back up there. And this is a good time to be like, hey, you know what? We're coming in the Big 12 next year, perhaps. Is it next year? It is next year. Okay. So we're coming in the Big 12. We're not scared of the Big 12 teams. I think you add Houston, you add UCF, you add BYU, and you add um, Cincinnati, And this is going to be a a tougher basketball conference next year than it is this year. And this is a conference that perennially we're talking about top to bottom being perhaps
1: the deepest. So I'm going to go with the Cougars. Okay. Does the Big 12, which has won the last two national titles, can they claim Houston's title preemptively if they win? Like, be like the Big 12 has won three consecutive national titles and then just put a little asterisk next to the three. (laughs) Well, they're not really a Big 12 member until July 1st, but it's close enough.
0: I would give it to them, honestly. I mean, they they essentially drafted them and said, we want we want Houston. We've got him on. Uh, they're in the minor leagues right now. We don't have them on our club control yet, but we would promote them if we could. We would, for whatever reason, we can't get this guy called up because for whatever reason, that I mean, this would never happen in baseball. This is a bad example, but uh, I think, I think that would be fair, honestly. I mean, it'd be more fair than the American Athletic Conference. I, I think I saw it last year. They had some commercials where it's like, yeah, we had a team that went to the college football playoff, and we had a team that went to the Final
1: Four, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but all these teams are leaving. <laughs> if that happens, they may have to steal the uh, the Big 12 moniker of Conference of Champions from Bill Walton. And, Pac-12. Uh, yeah, yeah oh, Yes. Yeah. Steal from the Pac-12 and give it to the Big 12.
0: Conference of Champions. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, Andrew's got to run. I think he's got a class to get to. um, Or is that it? You got
1: class? No, I actually have to go home and meet with a contractor.
0: All right. So, Andrew's got to go. Andrew, throw out uh, your content, your uh, stuff you're working on, your social media, how people can follow along with you.
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at ASTEM00. Um, and uh, content, support local journalism, uh, Omaha.com slash sports. All
0: right. Very good. When Andrew
1: will be back, I'm sure we'll
0: do this again soon. Cause now I'm like, Oh my gosh, I miss talking college hoops and college football with STEM and I wasn't able to all playoffs, but now I'm able to watch some other sports. So I'm sure we'll do this again soon. Sounds good, buddy. I'm looking forward to it. Take care of yourself. All right. Thank you, Andrew. That concludes our conversation for today's episode of the Jack Vita show. Make sure you guys subscribe. To the show wherever it is that you get your podcast. Log on to my website, jackvita.com, for more content. And you can check out all my baseball work. Just Google SI fastball. It's all right there. Um, we're gonna have more content coming soon. Some good uh interviews coming up. Have not locked in the dates. So when I do, I'll post those on social media. You can follow me at Jack Vita show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. To be uh, notified whenever that stuff is happening should be coming soon. Some good guests, and until then, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters.